We went to see Phil Wickham on Friday, and oh, uh, nice. and yeah, it was awesome. So, you know, you go there, and it's like, oh, am I going to a concert where a guy is is playing, and, and you know, it just it felt weird. But the moment that he got on stage, he deflected from himself to, and pointed to Jesus, which was just awesome. It was just such a fantastic worship time. Uh, but the guy who was doing slides there messed up a few times. <laughs> Even the pros messed it up. Anyway, so. All right, so speaking of that, who here is ready to take it to the next level? What, what is it? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about taking it to the next level, seeing it from God's perspective. So, you know, you guys have heard me preach before, and, and I don't think there's ever been a sermon that I've preached where I haven't talked about my dog, Liberty. I have a crazy Rottweiler. Her name is Liberty. Um, we adopted her in... Texas a year and a half ago or so, and uh, and she has she's 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 awesome she's great she's a, she's a very loving dog she's wonderful with people um, she's got this one tiny little quirk when she sees another dog she goes absolutely ballistic and it, she doesn't bark like a normal dog she makes this like banshee cry thing so. Everyone in Jensen Beach knows who she is. Everyone. If you, if, you, if you live in Jensen Beach, you know who she is. The police know her. All the people know her. The people working in that building that Zane's been working in forever, they all know her. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's embarrassing, right? It's mortifying. Uh, I, 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 we hired a couple of different dog trainers, and, and you know, we, didn't have, uh, we didn't have any success. You know, Probably more our fault than theirs. But um, we were, you know, we've been relegated to sort of the the midnight walking crew. Um, so it, it really has had a, this massive impact on our lives. It, it, it's, been, it's, it's been rough. Um, so anyway, about a, 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 a month and a half ago, we were walking through Jensen Beach, um, jamming Jensen Thursday night, and there was this guy seated at a table. This guy was an impressive looking fellow. Uh, his name's Chris. He's uh, a bodybuilder, right? So he's got the invisible luggage and all that. Um, <laughs> And, and he was surrounded by these impeccably behaved German shepherds. All of them healed beautifully right there with their owners standing right next to them. And I thought to myself, wow, how do you get to that place? And so I, I approached him and I said, I have a dog who doesn't really react well to other dogs. Do you think you could help me? And he said, I don't know. Come to my evaluation next Saturday and we'll see. He said it just like that, right? Uh, so it was, it was intimidating. It was. It was intimidating. And I thought, all right, um, so where's the evaluation, blah, blah, blah. So the next, the next Saturday, we, uh, we, we go there, and it's, uh, it's in Port St. Lucie. It's at a pond in Port St. Lucie. There's a great big field. So you drive into this great big field, and you go around a pond. And on the other side of the pond, there are these I don't know, 18 impeccably behaved dogs, all of them standing right next to their masters, leash in hand, behaving beautifully. Well, you know what Liberty does when she sees another dog in the car? Yeah. So you know, I, 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 tried to, I tried to park like behind a tree across the pond so that Liberty wouldn't see. And, and you know, I, 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 snuck her, I snuck her out of the vehicle and, and I'm walking over, and, and she caught wind of the dogs, and she saw them, and she lit up and went bananas, absolutely 
bananas. And you know, it, it was mortifying because all these other people are on the other side of the pond with their impeccably well-behaved dogs looking over at me. And, and, and here's, my, here's my, so I'm like, I, maybe we gotta get out of here, I don't know. We'll just put her back in. And, and Chris, my friend Chris, the guy who carries invisible luggage, uh, he saw us, because everybody saw us, and he said, stay right there. <laughs> so I stood there for 20 minutes while my dog went bananas, and he was doing his dog training stuff, you know, bite training and things like that, really neat stuff. And she's flipping out. And then to my horror, after 20 minutes, he said, come here. <laughs> and I'm like, with my dog? <laughs> Yeah, so I bring her over there, and we, she's, she's, she went from like she went from an 11 to a 15, and 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 I'm standing next to him, and there's all these impeccably well-trained dogs not flinching, and and he started to call those dogs in succession up to us, about to where Tom is right now, uh, and and she was rearing up at them, and you know she's a Rottweiler. This is not, and, and the only thing he said to me is, can you handle her, right? The, the, the thought is, if I let go of the leash, there's gonna be a big problem. Uh, and I said, yes, 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 yes. Meanwhile, my hand is raw. I have skin dripping off of this finger and off of this finger. I am covered in blood from holding the leash because she's doing that, she's, she's grabbing it. So, you know, and, and, and the, the thought that I have this whole time is, this isn't gonna work, man, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do, you know? The whole night before, Charla and I were up and we were, we were praying, oh God, please let Liberty pass this test. Please let Liberty pass this test, you know? It's like your kid in school being, you know. Anyway, so he had the dogs come up um, one by one and stand in front of her. And, and, and then he, he started to teach me. He showed me a couple of maneuvers so that I could handle Liberty. He had my wife go over and stand next to him. And he said, I want you to understand the severity of this problem. This dog is not lunging to play with these other dogs. This dog is lunging to kill these other dogs. She would kill every dog here if she could. The problem that you have right now is much more severe than you think it is. And so he brought my wife over and he said, look at her. He brought another dog up, and she lunged, and I grabbed her, and my hand's bleeding, and she's ferociously barking at this dog. He said, look at her tongue. Look at it. Her tongue is drawn in. Her tongue is purple. It's drawn in to protect it from her teeth when she clamps down on another dog's throat. It's purple because she's been barking so much, and the blood is constricted in it. You have a dangerous dog here. You have a big, big problem. And I'm like, okay, failed, um, thank you. <laughs> Within 15 minutes, he had me holding the dog, healing Liberty, walking past nine dogs on this side wow. and nine dogs on the other side, up and down and up and down with my dog a foot to six inches from the snouts of all those other dogs. He taught me something. This, see this evaluation, this evaluation, it wasn't for the dog. The evaluation was for me. The evaluation was to see if I was teachable. The evaluation was to see that 
if, if, if I had the humility to take direction from another person, from another man, if I, if I was teachable, and then if I would carry on the skills that he was going to give me, because this is not a one and done thing, kids. This is, you've got to practice these things every single day. So he wanted to know if I could be humble. He wanted to know if I could be teachable. And he wanted to know if I could be zealous. That night, I got home, and I was in, I was in awe. I, I couldn't believe. You know, this, this, had, this had exceeded my wildest expectations. I couldn't imagine anything else. So Chris called me, and he said, Seth, I, I need to talk to you. I, I want to tell you something. What you have there is something very, very special. And we can take this to the next level. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I just wanted my dog to be trained so it doesn't bite other dogs. He said, she could be a police dog. She could be a service dog. She could be anything you want. I will train you and that dog as long as you are willing to take direction from me. We could take it to the next level. So why am I talking about that? Because the, the, the scripture that we're going to talk about today is in the book of Acts. We're continuing on in the book of Acts in chapter 18. We're going to do verses 18 through 28 today. And what I want to talk about is how do I take my, my Christian walk to the next level? And God beautifully outlines in this passage of scripture exactly how it is that we can do that. So before we do that, I want to I wanna ask you a question. You don't have to answer this out loud, but think about this. Where are you in your Christian walk? Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe, you're not, maybe, you, haven't, maybe you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never heard the gospel before, that God sent his only son to die for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the whole world, that he was crucified on a Roman cross that he bore the sins and the wrath of, he bore the sins of, of all men and the wrath of God, that, that he was buried, that he was raised again through the Holy Spirit on the third day, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father and that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Maybe you, you've never heard that before. That's the gospel. Maybe, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe taking it to the next level for you is, is, is coming to that understanding that Jesus is your Savior, that he died for you. God desires that all men be saved and that all come to a knowledge of the truth. The truth is scripture. The truth is that Jesus is our Savior. Maybe, maybe that's where you are. Maybe. And if you are, I implore you, please listen. Please listen for the gospel message. Please understand that, that I am up here today. We are all here for the lost. We are here so that we can show you who Jesus is. So, Maybe, you're, maybe you are a Christian, and maybe you have what we call fire insurance. You guys know what that is? Fire insurance? Well, I believe, you know, I'm, I'm saved, that's it. And you go on living your life the way that you would have lived it before. Um, not much has really changed, you know, you're not really seeing much of the fruit of the Spirit because you don't desire it, you don't want it. Uh, you have fire insurance, I'm saved. I know where I'm going when I die, I'm going to heaven. Hmm, okay. The way, the, way, the way I look at it is, um, has anyone in here ever walked up the down escalator? Yes, you have. Yeah, raise your hands. Yeah, you have. What happens, if you get, what happens if you get halfway up and you just stop? You go back down. 
right? That's exactly the way the Christian walk is. We are walking up the down escalator. And if you stop, if you stop seeking him, if you stop reading the word, if you stop listening to sermons, if you stop going to Bible study, if you stop being fed, you're going to go down that escalator. You know? My, my, my favorite analogy is, is Pastor Eddie's balloon analogy, right? Maybe some of you have seen it, maybe some of you have. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to explain it anyhow, right? When you're born again, you have the spirit. The spirit comes to live inside of you, right? But you still have the flesh, you know, and if Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I want to do what I don't do, you know, that whole scripture. Well, that's because we have the flesh, but we also have the spirit that lives within us. And that spirit has to be fed. It has to be fed, and the way that it's fed is through the word of God. God gave us his thoughts. God gave us his will for us in his inerrant word. He inspired 40-plus authors over a 2,000-year period to give us holy scripture that we can understand what his will is for us and what his plan is for the salvation of man. That's what we do to feed the spirit. That's what we do. We commune with others in, 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 you know, in the body of Christ, right? The prayer that, my, my prayer at the beginning of, of, of this, uh, at, at the beginning of the service was, was about the Father, right? Do you think that God needed us? No, he didn't need us at all. He wanted us because he loves us. And that's why everywhere in scripture that he refers to himself, he refers to himself as a relational being. He refers to himself as the father. He refers to himself as the shepherd, as the king. That's who he is. He loves us and he wants us to be in relationship with him. And, and the way that we get to know him is through reading his word, right? So that's how you feed the spirit, right? That's how the spirit grows within you. What do you have to do to feed the flesh? Nothing. To feed the flesh, you do nothing. That's it. That's you going down the up escalator. That's you not caring. That's you just acquiescing to the world and its system. That's you not seeking Christ. That's what happens. So the good news is that God, in, in this scripture here, the Holy Spirit gives to us, in these verses, the way, the way, that we can take our Christian walk to the next level. He tells us explicitly right here, there is a way to do it. So how do you bring your Christian life to the next level? Let's take a look at the scripture. Starting in verse 18, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sancrie, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. I don't know how to pronounce Sancrie. Mia, do you know how to pronounce that now? All right. Then I'm going to say it like I own it. Sancrie. So what's going on here? So Paul, Paul is in Corinth, right? Pastor Eddie's been preaching through Acts. Uh, we know that Paul uh, was in Corinth, and that's where we left our, our hero here last week. And so what, what Paul's decided to do is he, he stayed a few days longer, uh, and then he took, he took leave of the brothers, and he set sail for Syria. Why is that interesting? That's interesting because Paul is rounding out his second missionary journey. Paul started his missionary journeys. There were three of them. Uh, he started his second missionary journey from, uh, from Syrian Antioch. There are two Antiochs. There's Antioch and Pisidia and, and Syrian Antioch. So he was going to head back there. That's what he's doing here. He's, he's going to leave Corinth, and he's going to head back to Antioch. And he took with him Priscilla and Aquila. 
Remember them from uh, the, the beginning of, uh, of, of Acts chapter 18. They are fellow tent makers. They are, they are, they are in Christ with Paul. Um, they, uh, they, they, they've been hospitable to him. He's developed a, a wonderful relationship with them, so much so that it seems like, it, you know, maybe they've even sort of, uh, from an evangelistic standpoint, kind of um, uh, replaced Timothy and Silas here. You know, Tim not, not replaced, but Timothy and Silas um, stay there, and, and Priscilla and Aquila are the ones that he, he elects to, to bring with him. And this is really important, so remember those names. Priscilla, wife of Aquila. At Centria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. What does that mean? I searched through about six commentaries, and I got six different answers. The, uh, the, the real answer is that all we genuinely know is that Paul was a Jew. Paul was a devout Jew. He was still a practicing Jew. He, he did that because he wanted to appeal to the Jews, right? Everywhere he went, he would start in the synagogue because those were, that was his target audience. That was where he wanted to go. I mean, his target audience ultimately is the Gentiles, but he would start in the synagogue. So why did he cut his hair? Probably some kind of a Nazarite vow um, that he made. Suffice it to say that Paul was a Jew, that he was still, he was still practicing uh, Jewish customs, and he thought that it was important enough, and I'm sure, knowing Paul, he thought that it was important for the spread of the gospel for him to take this vow and to cut his hair. If this is going to save some people, I'm going to take a vow, and I'm going to cut my hair, and I'm going to follow through with it. Verse 19, And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. That's Priscilla and Aquila. But he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. That's what Paul does. That's what he did Everywhere where there was a synagogue, he would go and he would preach to the Jews in the synagogue and he would reason with them from their own scriptures, from their own Hebrew scriptures. The Hebrew scriptures are the same scriptures we have. They're the same scriptures. It's the same Old Testament that you have in your Bible. He reasoned from them, showing them how the prophets pointed to Christ, showing them how everywhere you slice those scriptures that they bled. They bled the blood of Christ. And then he would tell them who Jesus is is Jesus is the Christ. This Jesus who was crucified, this is the Christ. This is the message that Paul preached every time that he went to the synagogue. Importantly though, Ephesus. Ephesus is big. We're going to see a lot of Ephesus in the coming chapters. Um, he, left, he left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. Verse 20, when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. You know, it's kind of like, um, he, 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 had, he, was, he was on an evangelistic mission. He was, he was wrapping up his, uh, his, his second missionary journey right now. Um, and and you know, I, I have this image in my head of him saying, uh, no time to stay. What is it? I'm late. I'm late for a very important day. I'm late. I'm late for a very important day. No time for hello. No time for goodbye. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. I mean, that's, that's kind of how he was at this point. You know, he's moving around and, and he really wanted to get the gospel out. That's what he wanted to do. Verse 21, but taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And apparently God did will it, because we'll see this later on. Um, he set sail from Ephesus. 22 ends Paul's second missionary journey. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, that's in Jerusalem, and went down to Antioch. So if you're looking at a map, he landed in Caesarea, and I don't know whether it's because of the winds or what. It's strange. He didn't go right directly to Antioch, but he landed in Caesarea, and then he went up, and on a map, up is down. He went to the church. He went to the Jerusalem church, right? 
He went to the, the, the center of, you know, the hub of, of Christianity at that point. He went to the Jerusalem church, not because he was deferring to James or any of the other apostles. Uh, he went there. We don't know exactly why. He greeted them, though, didn't stay long, and then he went down to Antioch, and his, his, his second missionary journey had been completed. Verse 23, after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So here we get to uh, you know, our point. Um, how do you take it to the next level? Well, he spent some time in his, in his home, in, you know, in, his home in, in, in Antioch. Uh, but when he left there, he went back to places that he had already been. Right? He'd already been to Galatia. He'd already been to Phrygia. He was strengthening all of the disciples. They knew who Christ was. He planted churches there, but he wanted them to take it to the next level. He wanted them to truly understand, to truly get all the benefits that they possibly could of this wonderful salvation that God provided in Christ for them. There are, there are three illustrations that I want to use, three illustrations that, that God put on my heart to, uh, to, to, to kind of describe taking your Christian walk to the next level. Uh, the first one starts with, uh, with a guy named Martin Luther. Does anybody know who Martin Luther is? Yeah. Widely recognized as you know, the father of Protestantism, 95 Theses and so on. Uh, well, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't always... Uh, he wasn't always a Protestant, right? Uh, Martin Luther was, he was, a, he was a Catholic priest, right? He was a brilliant man. And uh, when he was uh, in, his, in his early 20s, uh, he joined a monastery, right? He, uh, he, was, he was Catholic, and uh, he, he excelled in what it was that he was doing. He was, uh, he, was a, he was a teacher of philosophy by the time that he was 22 years old. He was a professor of philosophy. Uh, he was, uh, he became a, a professor of theology shortly thereafter. He was, he was an ordained priest. I mean, this guy was, in the Catholic Church, someone to be reckoned with. He was, he was a someone. He also got a hold of the Hebrew Scriptures. So his job in the church was to preach and to teach and to read the Scriptures. So this man uh, spent his, his entire life devoted to Christ, devoted to his faith, devoted to the Catholic Church, until he was 35. And in 1518, at the age of 35, he was, uh, he was reading his scriptures, and he came across a verse, Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16 says that, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay? It was the second part of the verse that lit him up like nothing he had ever seen. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He read that and everything he had ever known was thrown out the window. Everything. He realized in reading those words, in reading that scripture, 
that we are justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law, just like it says in Romans, by the way. He realized that all of those things that he had been doing, 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 doing as a Catholic priest, all of those things that he had been doing, doing, doing were nothing to the Lord because Jesus Christ had already done it on the cross. And that was it. That was it for him. We know the rest of the story. We know who Martin Luther is. And we're going to come back to him in a little bit. That was Martin Luther taking it to the next level. Another guy that really, you know, from a, um, we're going to move forward in time here a little bit. So Martin Luther was born in 1483. That happened in 1518. Um, so if we move forward here a little bit, uh, a guy named John Wesley. Anybody know who John Wesley is? So John Wesley, a wonderful theologian, his brother Charles Wesley wrote some 6,000 hymns in his lifetime. I mean, these are godly men, right? These two men were, uh, they were educated at Oxford. They were, uh, they were the cream of the crop, the top of their class. Um, John Wesley was, was ordained as a priest uh, in the Anglican Church. Uh, you know, he had this wonderful Bible study at Oxford of all places. Um, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Well. He and his brother decided to, uh, that, that their life's calling was to be missionaries. And the place that, that they really wanted to go was to Georgia. Yes, Georgia, just north of us. Uh, they wanted to evangelize. They wanted to preach the gospel to the Indians. And so they, they got on a boat, and, uh, and, they, and they made their way over to Georgia. And, and during this boat trip, there was this terrific storm that cut the mast clear in two. Now remember, this is in the 1700s. So this is pretty serious stuff. And everybody on that boat knew that they were going to die, including the Wesley brothers. All of the English people that were on that boat, were, they were out of their minds with fear because they knew, they knew they were going to die. He looked over, and he saw this group of Moravians. They're Christians. This group of Moravians, they're missionaries from Germany. Like they didn't have a care in the world. They were singing hymns, and they were praising Jesus, and they were, they were praying, and, and he looked at them, and he's like, are you out of your minds? We're going to die! And they kept on praying and singing, and, and he looked at them, and he realized, that is faith in Jesus Christ. That is faith that I know where I'm going to go when I die. I'm going to go to heaven, so this doesn't matter. That was the turning point in his life. He would later on go on to um, you know, found the Methodist movement, and you know, it, it just an amazing theologian, amazing theologian. And then you know, the, 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 third, the third example that I want to use of taking it to the next level is someone that you guys probably know, my wife, Charlotte. My wife, Charlotte, was raised in the church. She was, um, as an analogy, she was kind of like Emily Frederick is, right? She was, uh, she was a missionary as a, as, as a young woman, as a, young, as a, as a teen, as a young woman. Um, she, she, she was sold out for Jesus. Uh, she, she wanted nothing more than, than to please him. But the world crept in. The world crept in in the late 90s. And she lost touch with Jesus. Can we ever lose our faith? No, you can't lose your faith. You can't lose your faith. You know, Jesus says... My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from my hand. 
When you are saved, you are saved. But she drifted. She drifted away. She drifted away for the next 14 or 15 years. And during that time, she met me. I was an atheist. I was. I was. I didn't, I didn't believe. I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in any of that stuff. And she, so she attached herself to me, to the world, and moved further and further and further away from Jesus Christ. Years go by, and her life goes from bad to worse to something that is unspeakable. Um, and, and her husband, her husband comes to Christ. And all he can talk about is this Jesus and this Bible that he's reading. And hey, did you know this? And did you know that? And did you know this? And did you know that? And, and you know, she tolerated me. She did. I, 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 she, she tolerated me. For months, this went on. She would listen to me, and she was like, that's cute. That's good. But she didn't even say it dismissively like that. You know, I mean, she, she didn't want to discourage me, but she really had no interest in encouraging me either. So I was new in the faith, and I didn't know anything about anything other than what I was reading in Scripture. And I needed someone to talk to, and she's, you know, we're, we're, we're together all the time. And, and I, just, I, I just gushed about who this Jesus is. Gushed and gushed and gushed. And then one day we were walking along, and, uh, and I, I'm gushing on our, 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 our afternoon constitutional. We walk every day uh, at lunch, walk the dogs. Uh, and and I'm, I'm t we, were talking about, we were talking about our son. We were talking about our son who was, who was experiencing some, some, some really, some, some big struggles. Some, some big things were going on in his life, and, and big, very dangerous things. And, and I, said to, I said to Charlotte, you know, you know what we ought to do? We ought to pack, we ought to pack our son into the RV and drive down to Texas and go to Greg Laurie to his revival and, and you know, and, and we should introduce Zach to, to Jesus. And she's walking along, and she looked at me, and she had every intention of saying the first dismissive thing that she had ever said to me in my walk with Christ. She was about to say, yeah, Seth, Jesus saves. She got that far. She said, yeah, Seth, Jesus saves. And then he got her. <laughs> Tears started streaming down her face. And she, she was convicted, and her walk with Jesus went to a whole new level. You know who she is. You know her, her, her zeal for, for God, her zeal for Christ. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's who she is. That's who she is. That's a yay, God. Yay, God. So in this next section of Scripture, what we're going to see is this man named Apollos. Verse 23. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. That verse is packed with information. He's a Jew, but he's also a Christian. He's from Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria, Egypt at that time in the first century was kind of like, um, it was kind of like Athens was back when Socrates and Plato and Aristotle uh, were, were, were with us. Uh, it was the intellectual center of the universe. Uh, 
Alexandria. And he was educated, this man Apollos, he was a native of Alexandria. He was educated there. He was competent in the scriptures. He had been trained there. This, there, there was virtually no one under the sun who was better educated and understood the things that he understood about the world. And it also says here that he was competent in the scriptures. So he's competent in the scriptures and he's eloquent. That's a wonderful thing, right? It can be. It can be. If you are, if you are both eloquent and competent in the scriptures and you're a pastor, then you're leading people in the right direction. If you're eloquent and you're not competent in the scriptures or you're not handling the scriptures rightly, then you are leading your flock astray. That's bad. Verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. So Apollos was a Christian. Let's get that out of the way. He was a Jew, but he was a Christian. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord. He was fervent in the spirit. He was spirit-filled. He was a spirit-filled believer. And he spoke and taught accurately. That's a very important word. This is Holy Scripture. And God chose to use, through the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit, he chose to use that word accurately to describe the way that Apollos taught. It was accurate. Make no bones about it. There wasn't anything inaccurate about it. But he only knew the baptism of John. So what's the baptism of John? John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the man who Scripture tells us, shows us beautifully 600 years before in Isaiah, that he is the man who would make the way for, for Jesus to, to come. And that's, and that's exactly what he did. So John the Baptist, his, his role was to tell people who this coming Messiah is, to point them to Christ. When you receive the baptism of John, you received a baptism of repentance. But it wasn't complete. The baptism that we have is a, a, is a, a baptism of, of both spirit and water. When you're baptized, when we baptize you out there, that doesn't confer salvation. You're already saved. It's a public profession of your faith. Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist, right? Apollos. He probably was baptized by John the Baptist, by the way, or maybe some of John the Baptist's, uh, you know, maybe some of his, his legion of followers uh, baptized him later. It doesn't really matter. What does matter, though, is that he only knew the baptism of John. So verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately right so we don't know exactly what it was maybe it was that he wasn't focused enough on what Jesus did because Jesus had already come obviously by this time he had been crucified he had risen uh, we don't know exactly what it was but whatever it was he was preaching before was accurately it was accurate he preached accurately but here Priscilla and Aquila explained to him the way of God more accurately. Think about this for a second. We have a man in the first century, right? Fairly chauvinistic society, right? I mean, fairly, it was, it was, uh, it was, a man certainly didn't take instruction from a woman, let's put it that way. So in this verse, if we read into it, we can see that 
Priscilla and Aquila heard him. Hmm. Everywhere in scripture where Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, Priscilla is always mentioned first. In the Greek language, we have what's called fronting, right? So the important words are put at the front of the sentence. Word order isn't the same as it is in English. Priscilla always precedes Aquila. That's interesting, right? The Holy Spirit decided to put her first. Why? Probably because she was the more learned of the two. Maybe she was the smarterer of the two. I don't know. There was a reason, though. I think it was because she was more learned. I think that she was more well-versed in the scriptures. I think that she was the one that the Holy Spirit wanted to use to teach Apollos. So they took him aside. You know, He's in the synagogue, right? We know that from, from this verse. And Priscilla didn't raise her hand and say, uh, hang on a sec, there's, uh, there's something else that you missed there. You gotta check yourself. She didn't do that, right? Should we ever do that? Should we ever, we, you take someone aside and, 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 and you just you tell them what they did that, that was wrong. There's a, there's a I, I like to dive. I got infected by the diving bug um, last year and, uh, and, and I, I do a lot of diving. Uh, and you know, it's a very, it's a very small, tight knit community. There are a lot of people, uh, but but you know, they all know each other pretty well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, there was an incident. Um, there was a fellow, was a dive boat captain, an instructor, wonderful man, um, been doing it for decades and decades and decades. Uh, he had he had a, he had a, a, a decompression incident. So in other words, he, he was diving and and he shot to the surface. And, and he didn't do a safety stop for one reason or another. We don't know why. There could have been something else very wrong. Uh, but he shot to the surface, and, and sure enough, um, the, the telltale signs of decompression sickness settled in later on, and he had to go into a decompression chamber. As a diver, that's, that, there's nothing more embarrassing. There really isn't. There's nothing more embarrassing than that. I mean, it means that you've made a mistake. 99% of the time, when something like that happens, it's because the di it's diver error. We did something wrong. Um, okay, so one of his former students caught wind of this and posted it on Facebook. Think about that for a second. This man's livelihood was put in jeopardy. His integrity was put in, in jeopardy. His confidence was put in jeopardy because of social media. Should that person have done that? Maybe, maybe, maybe he consulted him and and, and said, okay, sure, you can put that on Facebook, you know, or 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 maybe he did it because he was having a holier-than-thou moment. I want to do this. I want to point this out so that others don't make the same mistake. Is that a good justification for calling someone out publicly? Absolutely not. No, no, never, ever, ever, ever. And they knew that. So Priscilla and Aquila took him aside privately and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So what does that mean? This man who had been educated in Alexandria, Egypt, this man who was a scholar of scholars, this man who knew the way of the Lord, he had been taught the way of the Lord, this man allowed himself to be taken aside and taught about something that he already thought he knew by a woman so that he could be better. Think about that for a moment. It's epic. It is epic. He humbled himself. So in scripture, we learn that in order to take it to the next level, we have to first be humbled. 
Is that how the world works? When he, when he, after he humbled himself, he became teachable, right? We know. We know that he became teachable. We're going to look at that in the next scripture. But we know that he became teachable because he learned more about Jesus. If you could learn more about Jesus, if you had the opportunity to learn more about Jesus from an unlikely source, would you take that opportunity? Yeah. Would you humble yourself no matter who it is? You take that opportunity and, and you learn. Because that's why God gave us scripture. That's why he gave us his very thoughts. That's why he gave us salvation. That's why he gave us his son to die on a cross. We should want to know everything there is to know about that. And everything that he wants us to know is in scripture. The secret things belong to the Lord, Deuteronomy 29, 29. But everything that he wants you to know about his plan for your salvation exists in that book everything and we should want to know it we should be humble and we should be teachable so start in verse 27 and when he wished to cross to Achaia the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him when he arrived he greatly helped those who through grace had believed so right now he's in he's in Ephesus right my map is probably backwards here but he's in Ephesus right uh, and, and, and he wants to make his way uh, over to Greece, right? So he's in Asia. He wants to make his way over to Achaia. Achaia is a is capital city in Corinth, okay? So he wants to get over to Corinth, across the Mediterranean. Uh, and before he does that, he needs to make sure that those people in Corinth understand that he's got the street cred to come over and to, to preach, to be a, a member of, of their discipleship team. So the brothers in Ephesus encouraged him, and they wrote to the disciples over in Corinth, Right? They said, this guy is great. This guy's amazing. He, he knows the scriptures. He's well-versed in the scriptures. He's a wonderful evangelist. I think he would be a fantastic asset to your team. The disciples did welcome him. So when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. He greatly helped those in Corinth. He greatly helped them. Better than he could have had he not taken instruction from Priscilla. Because he humbled himself, because he was teachable, he was able to take instruction, and then he was able to do what every single person who is saved in this room should want to do. We have one job, and one job only, and that is to preach Christ crucified. That is to tell other people what the gospel is. That's what Jesus tells us, right? At the, end of, uh, at the end of Matthew's gospel, he says, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And, lo, I am with you to the end of the age. That's your job. That's what you do. And that's what he's doing. And he was able to do it better because he humbled himself and because he became teachable. He was able to go out with zeal, and he was able to preach the gospel. That's what we are supposed to do. He helped those who through grace had believed. Luke is, Luke is the author of Acts. Luke is also the author of the gospel, according to Luke. Luke is constantly saying this, right? Through grace had believed. We are saved by grace through faith. God 
gives us freely the faith that we need in order to understand that he sent his son to die on a Roman cross to bear our sins, the sins of all mankind through all time. That is given to us through grace. What a wonderful, wonderful gift he has given to us. And all he asks in return is that you follow him with faith. Remember Martin Luther? Martin Luther thought you had to do stuff. You had to flog yourself. You had to do stuff in order to prove that you were good enough for God. That's not how it works. It's all through grace. Verse 28, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the, that the Christ was Jesus. So he's doing what Paul did, what Paul was doing at this time. He would go into the synagogue, and this man was, he was the ultimate apologist. He was, he was it when it came to apolo Christian apologetics. This guy was the author of Christian apologetics. He would go in, and he would reason with the Jews through their scriptures and show them that Jesus was the Messiah. Prove to them, using the language of their own scriptures, that this man was the fulfillment of all the prophecy that you study. Now, some believed, and some didn't. Why did some believe? Because by grace, God gave them the faith to believe. He was zealous. Apollos is an interesting uh, character in the Bible. Um, if you look him up, if you look in a concordance, you'll find him in, you know, in a couple places. Uh, most notably here, uh, and then in, in, uh, in Paul's letters to the Corinthians. He was so zealous, he was so sold out for Jesus, that people tried to worship him. You read Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church tried to worship him. They also tried to worship Paul. They also tried to uh, worship Peter. That's because our default mode is not walking by faith, right? We want to walk by sight. Here's this guy who is so well-versed in the scriptures. I'm going to worship him. No. My point here, though, is that he was so zealous. He was so zealous that, that, that people turned to him. This is the man that, if you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, I, I planted, Paul, I planted, Apollos watered, but the increase belongs to the Lord, right? When we are evangelizing, when we are telling people who Christ is, when we are inviting them to share in our faith, if they say no, are they refusing you? No, they're refusing God. They're refusing Christ himself. So don't worry about it. It takes like, there's some statistic, it's like 7.3 times people have to hear the gospel or some silly statistic like that. I don't know. What we have to do, success in the kingdom is measured not by the outcome, but by obedience. And that's what Christ tells us to do, to obey all that he has commanded. So he was, uh, he was a very zealous guy. So to recap our three sermon points here, he was humble, he was teachable, and he was zealous. Martin Luther, can you imagine at the age of 35 years old, after all that he had been through as a monk in a monastery, as a priest, as a theologian, as a philosopher, as one who had been told by the Catholic Church that he was gifted to teach, 
One who had been given the Holy Scriptures so that he could interpret them. One who did his whole life. Did, did, did. Because he had to earn the righteousness of God. That's why that verse lit him up. In it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He realized he didn't have to do anything. He realized that everything that he had done in the flesh was all for naught because Christ had already done it. He humbled himself and he became teachable. These scriptures that he just read to read because they're there and that's what you do, he read them because he realized that God wants him to know what it is and God used him powerfully. I would argue it's part of the reason why we're all here right now. There were other men who, laid the, who paved the way for him, but what he did was quite remarkable. He also translated uh, the, you know, all the, the, the Hebrew scriptures and the Greek scriptures uh, into, uh, into, into uh, German uh, so, that, so that the common people could, could read the scriptures. That was how zealous he was. John Wesley John Wesley was lit on fire. He realized that everything that he had done to that point, his education at Oxford, his ordination into the Anglican priesthood, that it was all a sham. There was more to it. There was way more to it. He could take it to the next level. And that's what he did. That's how he lived the rest of his life. And my wife, my wife realized that she had turned from Christ. She had turned from her Savior. She took it to the next level. When she realized, when God did that, because she didn't do it, God did it. God reached into her heart. God reached into her. He said, hey, I love you. Do you remember me? I spent four years in seminary. That zeal that I had to read the scriptures and to tell everybody who Jesus was and all these wonderful things that I was learning. I wanted to go to school so that I could be led by men who would teach me the right way to learn, who would show me things I didn't even want to learn, who would lead me down a path that would make me a better disciple of Christ, better equipped to equip you. I didn't know that at the time. I had no idea I was going to be a pastor. I really didn't. No pastor goes to seminary alone. Every MDiv that is distributed to a pastor goes to the pastor and to the pastor's wife. My wife humbled herself and realized that everything she had been doing for the previous decade and a half was wrong. She realized that she could be taught by this man who was a fledgling in Christ. That she would walk alongside him on his journey and be taught the things that perhaps she didn't know before. She didn't approach it as, oh, I already knew that. Everybody knows that. No. She approached it like a child. And her zeal is unmatched. <laughs> she keeps me going. 
So, that's a concluding slide. I think the thing sees. So what I want to do is, um, there's a concluding slide here that's pretty important. I want us to look at these three things. These three things that scripture brings out for us. Because they tell us, everyone in here, wherever you are and you walk with Christ, I don't know. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you have fire insurance. Maybe you're just going through the motions. Maybe, maybe you're a Bible-believing Christian who attends five Bible studies a week and, and, and teaches. And pre I, don't, I don't know. I don't know where you are. But it doesn't really matter because these three things apply to you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. So how do you take it to the next level? I don't know for you. I, I don't know. That's for you to decide. But I do know that it requires humility. I do know that it requires that we be teachable. And I do know that it requires that we be zealous. Can you do these things irrespective of one another? Can you be, can you be zealous without being teachable and humble? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I went on a, uh, on a shark dive um, this week, which was pretty, pretty awesome. You know, you get to see things in God's creation that most people don't get to see up close and personal. Um, and, you know, my, 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 my two passions, three passions, <laughs> Jesus, my wife, and diving. I almost messed up there. <laughs> I love to make gospel videos. I love to make gospel videos and, and share the gospel with people. Um, I publish them on my Facebook page. And, you know, if they get 100 hits, that's cool. They get 200 hits. I'm like, yay, 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 God. Um, I filmed a lot of videos while I was uh, sitting um, on, the, on the gunnel of a ship um, watching some tiger sharks be fed and stuff. You go to my Facebook page, you can see it. Uh, the one in particular really popped. It was really neat. It just, it just showed so, so much of God's creation. It's, it's, it's truly remarkable. Um, so I, I posted it on my Facebook page thinking, yeah, maybe it'll get 100 hits or 200 hits or whatever. Um, that night when I went to bed, it had 436 hits. The next morning, it had 950 hits. Wow. You know? I'm like, hmm, this is pretty cool. A couple hours later, it had 5,000 hits. As of now, it's got close to 25,000. So why am I bringing this up? I make gospel videos that get 200 hits. <laughs> I make shark videos of God's creation that, that get tens of thousands of hits, right? What are we looking at? Where is our emphasis, right? It's, it's a cool video. It really is. Check it out. It's God's creation, right? But do we worship the creator or do we worship the created, right? And that's, that's what we want to look at. So if you're sitting here today and you don't know who Jesus is, Jesus is the one who created that marvelous display that we get to see in that shark video. That's who he is. So if you want to see who Christ is, then go over to the Job videos and check those out. <laughs> but so my point is that it's possible to be zealous. You know, I'm, you've got to be zealous for Christ. You've got to be zealous for the right thing. You've got to put your ladder against the right wall.
There you go. For, for reasons beyond Christianity. People who practice Islam, do you think they're zealous? Without a doubt. You know, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm, a, I'm a chaplain in, in, in one of the jails here. And, uh, and there, are, there are guys who, uh, who are uh, of the Islamic faith, they're Muslims, uh, who will actually, they, they, will, they will take on harsher sentences. They will do things so that they have to go to jail longer so that they can evangelize. The Muslim faith. Is that zealous? It's pretty zealous to me. I, I love Jesus, but I don't know that I'm going to go out and do anything to get arrested, so I have to go to jail. So I took the easy way out and just became a chaplain, and I go in and preach the gospel. The, the point is, though, is that you, you, you can't have zeal for the wrong thing. When we're, when we're teachable, do you think that it's possible to be teachable without being humble? Yeah. Maybe. I, I don't think so. I don't think when it comes to, when it comes to learning about the Bible, I think that what God is saying, if we're seeing things from, from his perspective, I think that we have to understand that we need to humble ourselves. We need to be, we need to be teachable. You know, how does, how does the world, how does the world take it to the next level? Things. Yeah, do, do you guys remember the show, How I Met Your Mother? Barney Stinson, um, he's, he's got a, a quote in there where he says, um, it's, it's not enough to win, everybody else has to lose. I, I used to work for a company, uh, and, and their, their, their motto was, um, you know, we don't want to just be number one in the industry, we want to crush the competition. That's the way the world thinks. But see, everything in the Bible, everything in the Bible is counterintuitive. So if we're going to see this from God's perspective, we have to know that he wants us to be humble so that we can be teachable and then zealous for the right thing. And the right thing is Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that's what this shows us, I think, today in, in Scripture. You know, it, it doesn't matter where you are in your walk. Think about these things as you, as you move on in the week. What can you do to take your Christian walk to the next level? Are you satisfied where you are? Do you think God wants us to be satisfied where we are in Christ? Please answer no. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't. Is there a ceiling? Is there a, huh, I made it here. Woo! <sighs> no. There's a ceiling in glory. As Pastor Eddie likes to say, when we're, when we're watching God flicks, we can see whatever else is all going on, right? But for now, here, you know, as, as, we, as we make our way through, uh, you know, this, this process of sanctification, the, the, the green on everybody's shirt here, this is what we're supposed to do. In that green swatch, we are supposed to be humble. We are supposed to be teachable. And we are supposed to be zealous. We are supposed to go out and make sure that the gospel of Christ is heard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, my prayer is that if there is somebody here today who doesn't know you, who doesn't know what your word is, Lord, my prayer is that they heard something today 
that would ignite that spark that you put in our souls, in our hearts, so that their ears would open, so that they would hunger and thirst for your word. Lord, hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Lord, when we read your word, we come to know you. We know that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Lord, we know that you know us. When we read your word, you examine our hearts. You look at us. The word reads us. We don't read it. So, Lord, my prayer is that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, who hasn't called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, Lord, that, that you, would, you would do that for them today, Lord. That, that you would give them, by grace, the faith that they need to believe, however small that faith might be. If there's someone out there whose belief is in the world system, in Darwinism, in evolution, in science, Science is wonderful. You gave us science so that we could see your creation. But if there's someone who is depending upon science as the be-all and end-all, Lord, my prayer is that they would humble themselves, that you would give them that tiny little bit of faith that they need to understand that it is you who created all that. Lord, that you would make them teachable to want to be taught. And then that they would pursue you with zeal, that they would pursue you all the days of their life, from the time that they're saved until the time that they meet you in glory, Lord. Lord, if there are people here who are already saved, and I know there are, Lord, I know the place is filled with them. Lord, don't let them be complacent. Ignite the fire in their hearts. Lord, the Holy Spirit lives in all of us who are saved. Lord. Let your Holy Spirit move them, humble them, make them teachable, make them zealous to proclaim your word to the nations, Lord. That's what you ask of us, Lord. That sacrifice you made on the cross must be made known to everyone. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Lord, that's our job, to be humble, to be teachable, and to be faithful to proclaiming Jesus Christ crucified. Pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.